With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to a live edition of the Stratycast. I don't even know how this works. Um, we're using different platforms. We're live on YouTube. We're live on Twitter. And of course, we put this up on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Acast later on. So I'm joined by Mike, as per usual. And we're going to go through the game last night. One all draw against AC Milan. So Mike, it's not a good result, was it? No, and it wasn't particularly a good performance either, although we had two guilt-edged chances that should have been put away that would have sealed the game for us quite comfortably in the end. But I thought uh, Milan completely dominated the first half and United so pedestrian in possession. And, and you sort of, you see, we saw the derby on Sunday and it was like everything you want to see from United going forward, playing a high-pressing, de- aggressive defensive line, disrupting teams deep in deep into their own half, um, moving the ball quickly when you get into position, seemingly sort of pre-planned, arranged movements of players off the ball. And then there was none of that. We kind of went back to the strategy of, well, let's get the ball to Bruno and hope that he does something. Now, early on in the second half, he did do something. I think Diallo injected a bit more life into the attack. It was a wonderful ball for the goal. I thought, that header was a magnificent piece of improvisation. Reminded me of Javier Hernandez did something at Stoke City years ago that was similar, though this, I think, was actually better because he was further out and the goalkeeper's rushing out to, to meet him at the same time. So that was a fantastic piece of skill. But in the end, um, United dropped deeper and deeper and deeper as that second half went on. And that goal was coming. And obviously, you messaged me. You thought it was a fairly costly error for Henderson. It, it was poor. He came out and missed it, but he wasn't the only one who made a mistake. The man, Matic, is supposed to be marking Simon Kier, and he just doesn't even bother to track his run, which is an appalling piece of defending from someone who is apparently supposed to be a really good holding midfield player and a smart footballer. Didn't look very smart from where I'm standing. Um, um, it was a bit disappointing, really, and... You know, listen, there's every chance United being United and making absolutely no sense as a team. United could go to Milan in the second leg and win 4-0. Um, you look at last night and the, some of the costly errors, Maguire's miss, Daniel James' miss, you know, th- those two should have hit the back of the net. And it's not just Dean Henderson's goalkeeping at the end. So there's a number of players that are going to be very disappointed this morning. Those two but... chances were harder to miss than they were to score, especially the Maguire one. I don't know how you hit the post from there. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I don't know. Um, but, but, but with that, I think with Henderson, and the reason why I texted you about him is at the moment he's going through a bit of an audition. You know, he's, he's trialling now for the first-choice goalkeeper role at Manchester United. Um, David De Gea I'm currently leave at the moment away from the club and Henderson's now getting a chance to get a bit of a run together so earlier this week I was thinking really really positively about Henderson but just that mistake last night 
it does raise some eyebrows. There are as, some as opposed to the goalkeeper that's been making mistakes yeah, for over two years because, on a regular basis. No, but it, it's because the, we're looking for the answer. We're looking for a first choice goalkeeper. And even this with is, the, this hair, is the first not, time he's had more than two games. He's, he's played even more than one game in a row mm. for, for United. But yeah, it's exactly. a, bit, a bit soon to make a judgment. I said previous editions of the podcast, he needed probably 10 or 15 games in a row. He does, and that's what we'll judge him on, absolutely. And what 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 it's now down to is how Henderson reacts to this. You know, in the derby, we were all talking about him. He was fantastic. Um, the defence was really, really good. That wasn't the case last night. And for him, he made a costly mistake. Of course, you have to judge him over, over 10 or so games because bouncing back from mistakes is a massive part of being a goalkeeper. Every goalkeeper makes mistakes. And, and the thing about a goalkeeper making mistakes is it's magnified. Um, everyone's talking about Henderson this morning because his mistake led to a goal, um, a costly goal, which saw AC Milan get an away goal. I mean, it was, a, it was a series of, of poor individual mistakes. I mean, Nemanja Matic not tracking his, the guy that he's marking is equally as a culpable error for that goal. Simon Keir is the best header of the ball in that Milan team. You don't just not track him when he makes a run to the near to the to the near post and the set piece. I, I just think that's that's ridiculous. And he gets yeah. more stick from me because he's supposed to be the one of the experienced players in that team. You should know better. That's really poor from him. That yeah, we said it on the podcast Mike, many a time about the where we, where we defend set pieces. And in the last few weeks, with some clean sheets under Henderson, which we shouldn't forget, um, he he has kept a number of clean sheets and. And, you know, there has been some positive signs from him. But it was just last night was probably the, the, the first real negative. And it's going to be interesting to see how he bounced back from it. He'll start again at the weekend against West Ham. No he, question he, about that. He did make a mistake, quite a costly error for Sheffield United last season. I think it was in a match against Liverpool. Um, where they lost narrowly. And uh, he got a bit of stick, actually, from Chris Wilder after the, after the game. And that was fairly early on in the season. He seemed to recover from that very well. Yeah, look, and everyone that kind of speaks about it from a punditry point of view says that he's confident and he believes in himself. So, look, there's no reason, we've, we've no reason to believe he can't bounce back from this. Um, I hope he's disappointed this morning. I'm sure he is disappointed. That's part of being a goalkeeper as well. But he has to realise, too, that between now and the end of the season, I think it is his audition. There has been a few claims in the press about United looking at different goalkeepers and going into the transfer market, looking actively looking for a goalkeeper. That definitely spells danger for, for Henderson, but he has until the end of the season to prove himself. That's plenty of time. And if Manchester United can finish second and win a cup and he's part of that team, well, then he's going to raise an argument for next season that he should be first choice. It's, it's not He's not blowing it. No way, because I think Solskjaer will look at this from, right, now we get to see how Henderson reacts. Henry, the hair won't be ready for the weekend, so we'll have another chance against West Ham. And that's going to be a big game, Mike, because West Ham are in form. Yeah, very much so. It's, it's a game United have to win. Um, I said after the Derby game, I, I said I wouldn't be surprised if United went and could just put out a stupid performance against West Ham off the back of a great performance against Man City. United need to be going unbeaten between now and the end of the season, and they need to be looking to win about 90% of those games, which seems a lot, but that's what United have to do. If they've got any designs of winning the league, they need to be able to go and win 10 games in a row. Not Forget 20, forget the 2021 that City have done. So just winning 10 in a row, let, let's try and do that. Because um, if United can't do that between now and the end of the season, I mean, as I've, I, I've floated out the idea that this might be the ceiling for this team, um, so, yeah, they they have to they have to win, and West Ham have been good. I mean, they were unlucky to lose to Man City a couple of weeks ago. A message is during that game saying West Ham were really good, and in the end, they just kind of ran out of steam. Like Michael Antonio literally ran himself into the ground in that game. But they they deserved something from that game, and they were a little bit unlucky. So United are going to have their hands full this weekend, and they need to put this one behind them quickly. What did you make of AC Milan's performance? Because I know you watch a lot of Italian football, and they had a lot of injuries too. Was this was this an AC Milan side that that you see most weeks, or did they raise their game for their big trip to Old Trafford? 
Well, they certainly um, raised their game. I mean, they were missing... I mean, people talking about Zlatan, but it arguably wasn't the most important play they were missing. They were missing uh, Ben Asser in the midfield. He's been absolutely brilliant for them. And they're also making, missing Akan Celanoglu as well, who's a big player for them. Um, so that was two big misses, but I thought they were really, really good. Frank Kesse is someone I've liked the look of for, for quite a while. Um, Milan bought him from Atalanta. Um, and at, at first, people didn't think he was a good buy, but he's really grown into that team. He's a fantastic player, really shuttles box to box, offers a lot going forward. It was a little unfortunate to have what was probably one of the best disallowed goals I've ever seen. In fact, this week I've seen two, probably the two best disallowed goals I've ever seen between that and Erling Haaland's bizarrely chalked off goal against Sevilla um, the day before. Um, it seems a little unfortunate there. So he was he was very good in that game. I thought Simon Kier at centre-half lacks a little bit of pace, but he's fantastic at marshalling the defence and he's a bit of a warrior at the back. He's been a really good addition to Milan. And um, I thought Rafael Liao was causing problems to Man United all night in that defence, as was Brian Diaz. Um, cutting in off the left-hand side. So, they look they look good, Milan. And United really need to race their game massively in that um, in that second leg. And for what I've seen in the second half, I wonder if we consider maybe starting Diallo. Much sooner I would have anticipated starting him, but Marcio get injured again. We don't know quite what the timescale of Rashford is. And Diallo just seems to offer so much more um, than what we saw from United's attacking other attacking players that were out. I mean, Martial didn't offer a whole lot in that game. Um, I don't know whether he wasn't fit going in. Um, but, yeah, uh, a lot of work to do in the next leg. Milan looked like they've regained some of their belief that they'd maybe lost sort of around January, February time. And they lost some big games as well. L losing to uh, to Inter didn't, didn't do them any favours. Um. And I think Zlatan's actually been a little bit of a distraction for them in the last couple of months. I mean, he's disappearing off for a week for some music festival. I don't know what that's all about, but um, yes. But they they were they were really good. They've got some very very good younger players in that team. Um, and considering they were missing some important players, they they were a huge credit to themselves. I actually think they probably deserve to just about win the game. Just on Milan, Mike, because they kind of fell from grace a bit like Manchester United in the sense that we remember all the great AC Milan teams and then look at them in recent years and it was just was not a shadow of their former selves. Um, you could say the same thing about Manchester United after Ferguson and now you look at the teams, they're both second in their domestic campaigns and they both went down the kind of business model of, of, of signing young players. Um, is, there, is there more to that, Mike? They're really what's done for Milan is the is the ownership situation. I mean, you had Silvio Berlusconi just couldn't keep just couldn't keep literally spending the money that he used to be able to spend because essentially the amount of money that was being spent by the big clubs had exponentially increased, and also he was looking to try and sort of refund his political career again. So you had um, ownership of the club uh, passed uh, passed over to this uh, Chinese guy in a consortium. Um, which then it transpired after they'd spent a lot of money a few seasons ago, a lot of money, and quite a few of the players actually that you would have seen out in that in, in the Milan team this season. It transpired that the money didn't really exist. And then essentially uh, Elliot Management, who's this hedge fund, this American hedge fund, came in and essentially took control of the club. They were one of the creditors actually, and they took control of the club. And yeah, they've stuck to this... Um, policy really of recruiting younger players. Slatten was brought in really as someone to supplement a bit of experience to supplement them. But Stefano Pioli, the, the manager, was brought in only on a temporary basis initially. Um, and the original plan was he was coming in on a temporary basis and um, to take over from um, Gianpaolo, who was the, the former Sampdoria manager they appointed him, was a bit of a disaster, really. <laughs> and Pioli came in on a uh, an interim basis a little bit like Oli actually um, until the end of the season but he did so well that they abandoned their plan a plan that which they publicly announced by the way which was to hire Ralph Rangnick 
as as the manager. Um, and they abandoned that plan and kept on Pioli because, you know, it, he really earned the shot. And he's proving that now. I think to do what he's done this season is absolutely terrific. He's been helped by the fact that Juve have just imploded rather hilariously after spending the last four or five years trying to eliminate teams from ever being able to compete in elite European competition. Um, so he's been aided by that. I, I actually think Inter have got, while they may win the league this season, have got financial issues of their own due to their uh, their owners, Suning, who are experiencing financial problems. Anyone who's kept up with the situation with Suning knows that the Chinese club that they own um, stopped, just literally went out of existence. They stopped trading several weeks ago, literally just after um, they'd won the Chinese Super League for the first time, Jiangsu Suning. So, we don't know what the situation is with them, especially seeing as uh, the Chinese government is um, quite forcefully trying to make its big business is um, invest in China rather than investing it abroad, unless it's being directed by the Chinese government. So I think Milan are in a good position if they can keep building on this and, and building on a pretty steady model of recruitment that they have done, because the good thing about buying young players as long as you don't go too over the top about it is that it you, you can get a huge windfall of a return as well when those players move on you're likely you're going to make a profit it's what Dortmund have operated on for the last few years and I, I think Milan could be in a position really to get back to the top of Italian football again if they stick with Stefano Pioli they recruit wisely to supplement one or two things in the summer and obviously they keep hold of Gigi Donnarumma the goalkeeper who whose agent is um, one Carmine Riola, who has one, more than one occasion attempted to force a move away from Milan from him, but has stopped. He did that, I think, just to get more money. But there isn't really many clubs out there, in elite clubs above Milan, who you would say are in the market for a goalkeeper right now. If you look at the destinations, I mean, Madrid mm. have Courtois, mm. who's arguably hey. been their best player. <laughs> We 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 talk we do a podcast on one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, like we just look. Dean Henderson should be given a shot at the end of the season before you start making that call. And also, the kind of money that you would need to get together to sign Gigi Donnarumma. I think the world record for a goalkeeper, I believe, is Kepa, seventy-five million. It would cost more than Kepa. It would cost more Kepa. I think you're yeah, talking he, ninety million yeah. pounds. But he's coming to the end of his contract, so that money, it'd be the, the money you'd be talking would be his wages. But the, the, I want, I want Dean Henderson to succeed between now and the end of the season. I don't yeah, want. I, him I, I, I also think if Milan show enough, I think he'll probably sign a new contract. There's no guarantees, obviously, but there's not many clubs that because you've got to think about his wages as well. Really, this is why there's only one club in the market for David Alaba, which is. Real Madrid because they seem to be the only ones willing to pay his wages. Yeah, and I, look, there's no doubt about it. United are probably in the market for a goalkeeper this summer because De Gea is not going to stay. He's going to be second choice. I don't expect Dean Henderson to stick around next season if he's going to be second choice. So either way, they're going to, have to buy a goalkeeper or two because Sergio Romero, um, he'll be leaving the club on a free in the summer. Lee Grant, is he going to be our second choice? I hope not. Um, you know, so they're going to have to sign a goalkeeper anyway. It'll be a matter of who's first choice, and and I th I think right now it's really up for grabs. And I'm, I'm not confident about the anyone right now, um, because Dean Henderson has to prove himself. He hasn't done that yet, and as we've said a num for a number of times in, in this podcast, he needs games to do that. He needs a run of games, um, and his his reaction to last night's mistake. Will be intriguing, Mike, and I hope he comes there. But people say he's he's a confident, confident young fella. Um, you know why not? Why why can't he come back from, from a mistake like that? Sasson was injured, by the way. One of our contributors, I saw, just chipped in with a with a comment just to point that out. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, Slatan was injured. Tank fuck. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think United actually would have been able to shepherd him quite easily. 
with all all we said about the defense on the podcast and and even how they performed in parts of the game last night because the the young striker who replaced Latan he, he gave us a bit of a run for our money. But I think he's a bit he's the kind of player that's a nightmare really for United's defense. You know he's quick, he drops into odd spaces. I think. When we played Chelsea a couple of weeks ago, I, I was really worried about that United defence against Olivier Giroud because of his prowess in the air, the way he holds the ball up. I was really worried he would bully the United defenders. But United counteracted by that by playing a high line. And apart from one chance, I think, was it in the first half where he just missed that header? He couldn't quite get in the end of that cross. Um, United did a really good job shepherding Giroud. And Chelsea only really looked more threatening when they put Timo Werner on, who's more of the kind of pacey player that's going to cause a rather immobile defence problems. Yeah, look, and another another thing I wanted to say as well about AC Milan, and like you watched them a lot, but watching Italian football, what do United need to do in the, in the second leg, Mike? Because last night was there wasn't enough urgency at all about that performance. Um, you mentioned about getting the ball to Bruno Fernandes, but didn't really manage to do that for the second half. But that has a lot to do with um, the way we set up against teams. It's very easy for teams to, to man-mark Bruno Fernandes when we were starting to hold the midfielders. Um, and it wasn't until the second half that when United kind of came out of their skin a little bit that we started to kind of we started to dominate the game. So one thing United need to do is stop starting games so slowly. You know, they, 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 we see it every week. We have the players, we have the team to to out-muscle opponents. We just start so slow every game. And it gives the other team then a chance to, to grow into a match because there was in the first 20 minutes, Mike, or maybe 25 minutes, we could have probably been 2-0 down. Yeah, we should, have, we should have been. And they overran us in the midfield. I wonder if it might be worth United maybe trying to wipe a little bit of um, the sort of the, the 3-5-2 that the Inter tend to play. Um, and works really well. I think you know what they need to do is they need to beef up the numbers a little bit in midfield. Maybe like a free, maybe a, a free five sort of one-one with Fernand. If you're going to play Fernandez, played him off the striker. Um, but I would say if you're going to do that, it would mean playing a winger really uh, as a right wing back rather than Aaron Wan-Bissaka because you need someone that's going to be able to offer something going forward. But that might be an option for United to go and play that. But they certainly need need to do something about not being over and in the middle. I think playing McTominay and Fred might be, a rather than playing the Manu Matic, might be a better way of actually doing that because they've got the energy to sort of uh, keep up with Milan's midfield. I mean, they really struggled to get a grip of Frank Kessedale. They really, really couldn't deal with him at all. And the thing is, it just meant Bruno Fernandes couldn't get the ball. And... It's a big problem for United that for many of the games, United's strategy is hope Bruno Fernandes does something and we might be okay. Um, but you can't do that every game. You're not going to win a trophy being so reliant on one player like that because he is basically the only attacking player that we have who is capable of sufficiently improvising to be able to outwit opposition defenders. You need to have a pattern to this. I think what's really missing from that pattern is Paul Pogba at the moment. Um, someone yeah. that can sit deep and, and get that ball forward quickly to Bruno because when you watch United without Pogba at the moment, I know we've been very, very critical of, of Pogba in the past, but that little bit, bit of form that he showed before his injury, Mike, he was very influential. He was nearly running games at times. And I think that bit of class from a deep position is what we're, la what we're really, really missing. And, and that shouldn't come as a surprise without Pogba because you look at the options that that Solskjaer has, you, you manage Matic, you have Fred and McTominay. McTominay rate very, very highly. Fred, I think, does a job and is an important player. You know, Matic is probably pushing on. But there's no one out of that tree that has that quality that Pogba has. And and, and that's Well, no, there, there is, is, there is, but the manager doesn't want him. So there is someone that has that quality, but the manager doesn't want him and doesn't know how to use him correctly. Who's that? Donny van der Beek. Are we going to get back into Danny Van de Beek again? Because he, I, I, I think right now I, I don't see, I don't see a place for him. I don't see the way we play. I don't see a place for him on, on the base of what I've seen from him in the Manchester United shirt. I really don't. Barely seen him. <laughs> but, 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 but there has to be reasons. Yeah, he, he has one bad game, and it seems to me there's a snap judgment from fans 
for quite a large section of fans and from people within the club that he's rubbish. We must, uh, we must, you know, he obviously he doesn't deserve to play. We've had many other players in the squad who have been continually rubbish consistently this season and were allowed to play themselves into form. Paul Popper was allowed to play himself into form, Dale. Anthony Martial has been allowed to play not into form. He has one good game in every five where he shows something. Shows something on. He had a really good game on Sunday. Still missed the guilt edge chance from about seven yards out that he should have scored. But he had a good game on Sunday. But I, I, there's no guarantee that Martial's going to produce a performance like that for another ten games. So, yeah. but apparently Donny van der Beek is treated differently from those guys, and I'm not really sure why. But but I don't understand either why there is such a defence for Donny van der Beek when he hasn't done anything. Because I, I listened the other day. I, I, tell you, I tell you what, he, he played well. He played very well at a higher level than most of the Manchester United squad have been playing at for the last few years, Dale. In, yeah, in, in a very good Champions League cup run, which didn't end to anything. Um, I, I think Danny van de Beek, it, it, it's, it's, it's been bigged up bigger than what it needs to be. I heard Paul Parker, a former United player, coming out, slagging off people and slagging off almost soldier about the situation. And based on an argument because of the institution Donny van de Beek came from, that's a lot of crap. You know, Ajax Academy, look, it's produced fantastic players. There's no one going to deny that. But just because you've come for it doesn't mean that you deserve... He's won more trophies than most of that Manchester United squad, Dale. He's competed in more big matches than all that Manchester United squad, Dale. Of course he has, and it was a very, very good squad, a very, very good team. They, they did well in the Champions League, but but he, he is being taken from that team, and he's now playing for Man United. You look at Kagawa when he came from that brilliant Bristol Dortmund team, and you look at the other players that came from that brilliant Bristol Dortmund team. Not many of them went on to, to replicate that form elsewhere. Um, so I, I just don't buy into this. How many times do you see Ajax in the latter stage of the Champions League now, these years? How many, how many is, is it consistent? No, More than us. Yeah, it is, but we have to fix that. And what we're doing is not good enough. But Ajax, I, I don't get this whole the whole defense of a Danny van der Beek. I'm t- if he was if he deserved to be playing every week, he'd be playing every week. And and Solskjaer needs results. No doubt about that. We both know we've seen other players who've been playing every week who don't deserve to play every week, but they play yeah. anyway. Yeah, of course, because Paul Pogba is a better footballer than Danny van der Beek. Anthony Martial. On his day, is more influential than Donny van der Beek. No, he's not. Are you joking me? He has, he? He's had one one good game this season, and that makes him more influential Yeah, but Donny I, but van der Beek. But also, this, this season, Martial, it, it's possibly his last. I wouldn't be surprised. I should but, hope so. But 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 on, on a football pitch, I think Anthony Martial is more influential than Donny van der Beek. I think he wins, okay. wins games. He can win games. And that, that's what that's what Solskjaer at the moment. The team has a lot of players there that can win games, but it needs to be finely tuned. With a few additions, then we have a good football team. Then you might see how Manchester United have a pattern of play. We seem United, to rely United a lot United on have one, one, no, three, three players that you could argue could win a game. They've got three. That's what they've got. Okay, and how many did they have when Solskjaer came in? Uh, two. Too okay, yeah, and 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 it's building blocks. We've had we've we've bought well, we we we've bought reasonably well. The mm. team, the team, the team, squad is in a better position. We've less and um, desirables in in the squad that you wouldn't want there. They're slowly being flushed out. We're second in the league. I know the form right now is is not good enough. It's 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 really really concerning when you see how 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 far ahead we were a few weeks ago and how. We've kind of I mean, then the club's only won, I think, half of its games since the turn of the year, which is yeah, obviously that, not good enough. That's not good enough, and that has to change. But, but right now, I, I think we, we've seen we've we've seen improvements. We definitely, see, but Danny Van de Beek, no, I, I I don't even see him as being in the frame at the moment. To be, I haven't seen enough. I haven't seen enough. There's a reason you haven't we seen haven't him at seen all. enough. There's you haven't reason. seen him at all. And the one the one time he, you know, I think what was the game that he got a lot of. Stick for was it um, was it a cup game? It got a lot of stick at this this discussion first came up where he was played in a in a role in a position that he never he never plays ever. Um, he was like, yeah, go and do Bruno Fernandez's job. I'm not Bruno Fernandez. Are you asking me to do that job for ridiculous? You know, you, I tell you what, if if um, would you go and ask Bruno Fernandez to play as a as a deep line midfielder? Oh, of course you wouldn't. Do me a favour. The thing is, Bruno Fernandez would try it. 
he'd be terrible at it. He gives the ball away too often to play in that position. Um, uh, and also, have... Bruno Fernandez has been very hit and miss. I think since the turn of the year as well. Yeah, and we have yeah. a question. maybe massively moaning in interviews, and more if it bothers him that much. Maybe go go and perform in big matches. Well, he did that against City, and I was really happy. He, he, yeah, and he had to because. That interview, I kind of agree with Roy Keane. You know, don't be such a baby in your interview before a match like that. You know, he hadn't done it in many big matches before that. It wasn't just him, to be fair, and I don't put that down to him. I think the way that United set up in big games, really going back to the Spurs game, which I think mentally scarred Solskjaer really badly, but he hadn't done it in big games. He just hadn't. So maybe stop moaning about being called out for it, Bruno. The reason he's being called out is because... You are the most prominent player at the biggest club in the country and one of the three biggest clubs in the world. So, of course, you're going to get called out when you don't deliver in a big game. So, yeah, he had to perform on Sunday, Dale. Otherwise, he would have looked like a right idiot. Mike, I want to ask you a quick question before I give you the stage um, for your segment of the, of the podcast. It comes from Dave Cleaver on Facebook. Should we ready ourselves for months of Haaland speculation? But can we genuine, genuinely get excited in case he says yes? Uh, so, first of all, Dave, yes, we should prepare ourselves for months of Haaland speculation. Not just the United, but where he's going in general. Obviously, City are now being heavily linked with him as well. And let's be frank, City are very obviously in the market for a centre-forward. Um, I don't know if he will say yes. I don't know how much of a personal grudge his father may hold to the club for what happened to him with Roy Keane, even though Roy Keane wasn't the reason Haaland's career came to uh, an end early. It was an injury he actually had in his other leg, but it was still a pretty... It was an appalling, deliberate attempt to try and permanently injure a player. Um, but my other question is, and I'm sure we'll get onto this when we talk about uh, one of the brothers that owns the club later, is that can the club actually afford Erling Brat Haaland? Um, I'm, I'm not so sure that... They can. Uh, from all the noises we're hearing out of the club, there isn't going to be much spending going on this summer. And I don't see the players that United are looking to get rid of are going to raise the kind of cash that they need to buy him. Now, some of that is going to be dependent on whether Dortmund get in the Champions League. I think they may just squeak in there, but it's certainly not cut and dry. I mean, I've said to you a number of times what a disaster they are defensively. And without Haaland and at times Sancho, they would be really struggling as a team. They'd be closest to the bottom half of the league. Um, but uh, I don't know right now with him. I, I think if we can get him, it's a no-brainer. We we uh, we should get him, but I I don't know. Mike, I'm going to leave a question up on the screen for the answer, if that's all right. Um, I need to run and grab a charger so this thing doesn't shut off. Um so here it is. It's a question from Dean Donnelly, a writer from or Dylan Donnelly, writer from Strategy News. Do you think Fernandez will leave? He doesn't get reassurances over the club's direction going forward. But I suppose this this question might comes with the report this week that Bruno is in talks with a new for a new contract, a new deal, double your money, possibly two hundred thousand pound a week. Um, but he wants reassurances from the club. It kind of sounds like what we heard from Wayne Rooney a few years ago. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for the question, uh, Dylan. Bruno is clearly a winner, uh, and he's a winner who, unfortunately for him and, and for his own peace of mind, hasn't really won that much. I think he's won one major trophy in his career, which is the, the, the Portuguese Cup with uh, Sporting. But other than that, he's um, he's not done a huge amount. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he does seek assurances over the direction of the club in terms of recruitment, uh, going forward, making improving the team to make them more capable of actually challenging Manchester City for the league and making sure that they don't start slipping behind rival teams when they inevitably uh, pull themselves up by their bootstraps and start improving their own fortunes as well. And yes, as Dale said, a little bit similar to what we saw, not on as quite a, a grand or embarrassing scale for United as what we saw with Wayne Rooney I think back in 2010 was it when he put in that submitted the transfer requests thinking that the club weren't matching his ambition which 
uh, certainly myself at the time, and probably a lot of United fans held that against him, although in hindsight, he looks like he may well have had a point. Um, maybe he knew something we didn't uh, about what the owners were doing. Um, so, yeah, I'm a little bit worried about that because I think if he sees that the club aren't going to match his ambition in the next two years, I mean, I don't think he is going to sign that deal. And I can't think of any club that wouldn't want to have him. Well, look, Bruno Fernandes is at a crucial part of his career. Um, he's shown since he's joined Manchester United that he can play for the biggest clubs in the world. Um, everyone has seen that. And it's going to come to the stage soon where he's going to want to show something for that. He's going to want World Cups, Champions Leagues uh, and League titles. And he, of course he wants those assurances because do you think if he was having an honest conversation with Paul Pogba, I'm not one to defend Paul Pogba, but if he was having an honest conversation with Paul Pogba and he said, right, since you've come to Manchester United, tell me your side of the story. And he would have probably, he'd probably respond and say, well, I came here with lots of promises. We, I joined with Slatan and, and things were going really well. And he probably felt at that time, like, that United were going to build a team of, of stars around them. And like he kind of seen in the French team when he won the World Cup, a way better midfield he would have been hopeful for. And I can understand then why Bruno Fernandes is hesitant, because if United are going to go to that next step, to challenge on all fronts, they need to sign. They need to sign players. They need they need impressive recruitment. It's it could take two or three players. That I, I think that would be enough. But those two or three players have to be very very good. Um, and they United have to be willing to spend. It's it's just Bruno Fernandez wants to see what the fans want to see, and and that's a, a board that are willing to to back the manager. Um, I think. Yeah, well, I think I think we can all acknowledge a sense one centre half, one central midfielder, and one centre forward that will go straight into the first eleven is what United need. It's probably what they needed yesterday, really, but they didn't do that. Um, which I, I kind of understand. I, it can be. I think the the criticism you give at United is just a lack of transparency in their whinging over fan responses to their business. Just be open and honest and saying, look, we're doing what we can, but we're also having to budget for the future. You know, do we want to be in a position that Barcelona are in right now, being in 1.2 billion euros worth of debt? You know, we're in enough debt as it is. The debt has gone up. We have one of the owners looking to take 70, 70 71 million pounds out of the club for himself. It's what he wants to do, um, which makes me speculate how the Glazers are doing financially. Maybe not very well. Um, so I think, yeah, certainly I think Popper would have a right to be angry about the fact that the club haven't really delivered on promises that I think they would have they would have made to him. I mean, it wouldn't surprise you know what we know of Ed Woodward and who's the um, the other half of the comedy duo, Richard Arnold, is it that idiot who keeps making stupid stupid statements? If they made some glib promises, I don't know, United being the first team to play on Mars or something stupid like that, that they probably promised him. So he would have a right to be a little bit irked about that. Um, and uh, I suspect Bruno, how old is he now? 26, 27? 26, so he's coming, into, he's coming into the prime years of his career. He's at a point now where he thinks, I need to be in a team where I'm challenging for trophies, properly challenging for trophies. Not talking about challenging for trophies, not being a distant second in the league because I think realistically I think United will still finish probably about 12 to 15 points behind Manchester City and that's the kind of second place that we talked about when Mourinho was at the club where we said it, it's a second place is nowhere right and that's kind of where that is this season so he, yeah he, he'd be right to seek assurances and if he doesn't get them I think you can certainly empathise with a view he might take of maybe I should be looking to move on. Can he be intrigued um, and persuaded by the fact that the club now has a football director in place? Uh, that's that's your leading for that one, is it? Okay. Um, so, yeah. Well, huh. that, that really depends on how serious this is. I'm not convinced. 
on the face of it, the restructuring that's gone on with the technical director and this football director, which just kind of looks like United following the crowd but not wanting to be seen following the crowd. So oh, we'll, we'll call him something else. We'll call him the football director, not sporting director or director of football. Um, we'll call him something else. On the face of it, that's really good. It's a restructuring that they've been talking about for three years now, I think they've been talking about this, since since they sacked Mourinho, I think. Is that, that when they've been talking about this? Yeah, it's been it's that long now. A big stumbling block before he continued was that Mourinho did not want someone no. like that in, in place. And no, he didn't, know. So that, that's what probably was the reason for a few years of, of a kind of a standstill idle moment it, it, when you're looking for that kind of football director. But um, Solskjaer seemingly is more open to the idea. Yeah, well, I have a theory on why that may be, may be the case. So they've spent apparently three years looking uh, for these people, you know, world-class people. What is it Gary Neville always says? Best in class. And he's right. It's what United should always aim to look for whenever they're hiring anyone. Who is the best? Let's go and get the best. Um I think what United needed was someone who was vastly experienced with well-embedded embedded global scouting and contact networks to come in. Um, obviously, there was a story that was run at, uh, quite recently on Strictly News about United looking at uh, Juve's chief scout. Um, although, considering Juve's business in the last couple of years, is that really where United want to be going? Uh, I'm not so sure about that one. I think um, Atletico Madrid's direct, uh, sporting director have been mentioned. I think Ralph Rangnick had been mentioned once or twice as well. And instead, they have ascent, they've given the, the role to John Murto, who, as far as I can see, is doing exactly what he was doing before, from what I can see it. Uh, so, and, and also... Listen, there's arguments that can be made on both sides of Murto. I think Murto, by all accounts, is the guy who is uh, most responsible for the um, setting up and the development of the women's football team, which has been brilliant, absolutely brilliant. He was a big driving force, I think. Um, <laughs> but then he's also, he came to the club at the same time as David Moyes, I believe. So would he not have been involved in the absolute omni-shambles <laughs> of player... And coaching, <laughs> recruitment, and scouting he, that has been, gone on for most of the last seven years. He's one of the last men standing. Yes, I think that's a good way of describing it. I think I saw him described as that somewhere. It was in like the Manchester Evening News or the Athletic. So um, he's apparently the world class person that they were looking for to head that up. And then Darren Fletcher, listen, very very smart guy, great knowledge of the game. But zero experience in this role. I'm not quite sure why he's been brought in. I'm not quite sure why both of these men have been appointed to these jobs for any other reasons that they will be extremely pliant figures who will act as a nice fig leaf to maybe head off criticism that uh, the Glazers and Ed Woodward um, uh, have been getting from the what I would call the broadsheet sports media and certain sections of the fan base for fannying about, essentially, um, from one way of thinking to another without any real long-term direction for so many years in terms of where you want to go on the pitch. What route do you feel, or what missed opportunity do you feel they've missed out on? They should have have got an experienced football director with a proven track record operating at this level who could have articulated a clear vision for the club. But I think... They didn't want that because it might step on a few people's toes. They wouldn't have wanted a guy like Ralph Rangnick, who would have Ralph Rangnick would have made some big changes. It, it, he would have asked, he would have demanded big changes of coming in, right down to even the kind of players that United produce. I think it would have been closely, and I think you would have seen a big changes in the coaching staff with someone like him, him come in. Um, and you, look, you, look, you look at it this way: Paul Hurst mentioned it in his in his piece for the Times, that when Manchester United were looking at people for this role, they spoke to a number of people, but too many of them were kind of focused on on the transfer side of things. That's what they wanted to focus on, and that puts United off. And we all have our ideas of how a football club should be run, and we want to see the best for Manchester United. But you've touched on an interest or an important point, that the Glazers don't want people stepping on their toes. Of course they don't. And that's why 
This is not called a supporting director or terms that you might see other football clubs. This is their own customised role. This uh, this news was announced, what, 72 hours before it was announced that Avram Glazer is going to sell 70 million worth of shares that he will keep all of the money <laughs> and the club will not see any of. Uh, this news was announced shortly after. The club announced that his debts had risen this year. Um, it's not a coincidence, Dale. Mm. I don't know exactly why this is. But you can see, exactly. Take, take a long-term view, take, take, take a step back, Look at the context of what's going on. You can see exactly why this has been done. This is nothing. This is nothing to do with them wanting to sort out the football side of things. They want to just try and cover their own asses. Yeah. Look, I I think what what the point we're which we're we're edging to is to kind of explain that yes, in theory, this is Manchester United addressing the addressing the football structure and putting things in place, and and we can agree that it's like it's it's a responsibility hub. Now that there's two people in those roles, the blame won't be focused so much on a certain Ed Woodward. Um, that's as much as I can see right now. Over time, we'll see if it actually makes a difference um, in terms of football. Because what I want to see, and I think it's very, very important, it's a club like Manchester United should be operating this way. The biggest club in the world. It can't be so difficult to find players who want to play for us. can't be. We make it more difficult. And we spend months and months and months of the transfer window negotiating. Let's now that we have someone in a role to kind of to dictate what needs to be happening. Let's start working on deals now. So when the yeah, transfer but Matt window, judges, Matt judges still the guy who is going to be doing the transfer negotiations. Yeah, but, a guy that doesn't even pick up his phone. That's which a big, is incredible. But, and also, one, well, let me just say one thing: John Murto was cited by people around you, Bellingham as one of the main reasons, as, as, in fact, as a big reason, he, cho- he chose not to come to Manchester United. Why? Because Why? his family were not impressed with how he approached them at all. Was there any anything revealed on that, what what they did in that order? No, no, nothing specific, but they were not particularly enamoured with the approach that United took, and it was Myrtle that fronted that approach for Bellingham. And obviously, listen, it wasn't a secret that United were extremely keen on Jude Bellingham and anyone that's seen Bellingham this season he's a really really good player he looks like a more durable Brian Robson and we missed out not getting him like he's ripped for a 17 18 year old Dale he is phenomenal and he's going to be an incredible footballer um and United missed out isn't isn't it crazy just slightly off topic that there's arguably three players that were kind of our mouths are watering about at Brissy Dortmund. But you look at Brissy Dortmund's league position, and what what the fuck? You know, if they were, if, if, you had, okay, <laughs> yeah, like, maybe like us, but I, I have seen Manchester United linked with with Brissy Dortmund defenders in the past year. Um, <laughs> what's going on? Um, football football's crazy at the moment. Yeah, Mike, I mean, the have, best the best the best defender. Their best natural defender is a guy called Dan Atzelzagadu, who is not, who is a very, very talented defender, but he's young. He's also been injured for... He came back to fitness quite recently, but he, he was injured for a long time. Matt Summers has not worked out. Um, Matt Summers has really not worked out at all. Um, and the other defenders they have are up to it. The goalkeeper's not very good. Um, I mean, Rafael Guerrero, the left-back, is a brilliant player, but... Uh, Again, unless you've got the defensive players, good defensively minded players in there with him. I mean, part of what works for Dortmund is that it had Rafael Guerrero at left back, and then you'd have Dan Atzelzagadu, who's a naturally left footed centre half playing next to him, kind of covers with his pace and his just sheer physical presence. But yeah, he's, you know, and, and obviously there seems to be a lot of issues around, as much as I love uh, Lucien Favre coaching the way he thinks about the game. Um, by all accounts, a little bit too aloof and a bit too soft on the players, are really not pushing them hard enough. And then Eden Terzic is the guy that's basically interim to the end of the season until Marco Rosa comes in to take over for next season. I mean, he's he looks like an interim. It's kind of when you saw um, it has an air of you remember uh, was it when Santi Solari came in to briefly sort of uh, take over at Real Madrid after. Things went wrong with Lopetegui, and it and it was really. I mean, he looked he looked like a he looked like an interim. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 
And another question in from, from Dylan, um, I'll put up on the screen for you, Mike. It's, can you explain Solskjaer's style of play if we have one? He's now in his third season at the club and usually looks like we rely on individual brilliance to often win narrowly. Um, yeah, it's a point we've, we've touched on um, in recent weeks, especially because the performances haven't been uh, of the standard you'd like them to be. But the, the annoying thing, Mike, is that we know we can't play at a high standard. So when United are, are at their best and we say that we have Paul Pogba back from injury, um, Marcus Rashford also injured last night, big loss I felt on the pitch. Um, players like that, everyone fit. What is Solskjaer's style of play? I don't think he has one, Dale. I, I, I don't. I see glimpses of something like a sort of against City. Uh, and I something against Chelsea but by and large no I don't see one I've said this before United's strategy going forward is hope Bruno Fernandes does something <laughs> that's the strategy um, hope he makes something happen um, and just if you are seriously going to compete for trophies Dale at this at, at this level that United desire to compete at that, that just isn't going to work but I okay, think so that's, that's what Solskjaer what... believes in in letting his attackers just improvise. It amazes me that Mourinho got criticised for this. He got pelters for this. Never coaches his attackers. Just, you know, relies on them to sort things out. He's very conservative. He's quite reactive. I think what? Solskjaer's a little bit conservative. He's quite reactive. He doesn't seem to be doing much work and, and coaching patterns of play to these attackers. Because but... you can get... I think there's... We talk about the amount of goals that United have scored... You take Bruno Fernandes out of that team, Dale, you don't get half the amount of goals. United are way... United are not in the top four without Bruno Fernandes, not even close. Without him pulling rabbits out of a hat again and again and again. They cannot keep relying on that to get them through. They need more. In regards to coaching, though, I know the numbers this season... Well, Rashford's numbers are good, but people have been critical of certain performances... He has been playing through a lot of pain, but but I think Rashford has developed his game under Solskjaer. Um, there was time, there was a stage last season where you could have argued the same for Martial. You know, so I, I get what you're saying about pattern of play. It doesn't seem like when United attack that there's a, a particular a particular way of doing so. But I think that's that's also down to to what I always say about that right hand side that we haven't got someone on that flank. And when and you who, have, who, who do you suggest? Because the one thing that I've never said this before. The one thing that always baffled me about the constant, you know, Sancho, Sancho solved this problem. Sancho plays on the left for Dortmund. I don't know if anyone's watched Dortmund. He plays on the left, doesn't play on the right. He can play on but, the right, but he's better playing on the left. But that is the player that Solskjaer identified a year ago to, to, to play on the right. So, you know? <laughs> You, yeah, you, yeah, you, okay. you, you, you don't want that deal to happen. Well, he's identified Victor Lindelof, apparently. He's been a really good centre-half because he keeps bloody playing him. He didn't sign him. Um, Mike, just before we finish and to give a bit of a preview to the West Ham game, they're without their best player this weekend. Um, Lingard can't play against United. And he's been really, really good since he's been <laughs> He's been really, really good since he's went there, um, scoring goals, assists, and surprising a few people. I, I'm really happy about it because he, I don't like seeing people get pelters online the whole time when they don't necessarily deserve it. And he is someone who he could just post a picture wearing a new tracksuit and people just inflict hate on him. And he's, he's, he's the reason for, for our downfall all of a sudden. Look, Lingard came through the academy as a promising player. I think he, I think he's been a good servant to the to the to the team down the years. He hasn't pulled up trees. He's never been a good enough to be a regular starter. But I think he's definitely shown during his short spell at West Ham that he's a very very good player and he's very. There's a, there's very a period good. under Mourinho where he was really good, and when Solskjaer first came in as the interim, he was playing as a false nine before he got injured, and he was really effective in that role. I think that what Lingard needed. Obviously, there's been issues off the field with him. Nothing, it's not bad stuff, but there's obviously him having to basically, um, essentially, for what I can gather, this be right, they'll essentially take on their own as primary carer for his young siblings, yeah. which is, yeah, that's a lot for a young guy to be dealing with when he's also he's uh, trying to be a professional footballer, 
he's trying to launch a business career off the field as well. I mean, that's that's a lot. I think what Lingard needed and what he still needs, I hope for him personally that actually this move becomes permanent. I think he needs to change the scene. And Manchester is, I could tell you, someone who has lived in Manchester and now lives in London. Manchester's a bit of a goldfish bowl. It really is. And I think for him, being somewhere where you can just sort of blend in a little bit, blend into the background a little bit more, just get on and not be bothered by people. London might be ideal for him. It might be a good place to go. And West Ham will be a good club for him as well. Uh, and I really like, and he's the kind of, in terms of what he does as a player, his work ethic is something that David Moyes appreciates a lot. And he's clearly bedded in really well with the other players in, in, in the West Ham team as well. Um, there was that really funny video that was posted up with him and Declan Rice. I think after the after a game that they had the other week, um, I still, I still, obviously, it's good news shows that he's not playing because that he would worry me if he was playing, especially the way he harangues and harasses defenders. They will still have Mikel Antonio, <laughs> which is he just worries me immensely because I don't know what you think about him, but he's such a hard player to kind of mark and to play against. I don't know whether if it. Because him, it's kind of that Jamie Vardy thing. He's a guy that came up all the way from like uh, semi-pro and non-leagues and came through late and that's essentially pushed his way through up to into the Premier League. And he actually started out as a wing-back, I think, or like a winger. And then essentially was moved to a centre-forward, I think, by... I think it was Moyes in, his, in that interim spell that he had at West Ham where he was moved to being a centre-forward. And that's something that Moyes has always been really good at, which is just finding these players and then somehow converting them into centre-forwards in a way that doesn't make any sense, but it kind of works. Fellaini was another example. He basically played as a deep-line striker. That was Moyes that started doing that first. Um, and uh, Marko Anasevic, when he was at West Ham the last time or so, when he converted into a striker, got a lot out of him, more than I've seen anyone else ever get out of the guy. So, yeah, it's... Um, I'm happy for him, and um, you know, obviously, talk maybe he'll come back, but I, I you know, because there's no uh, there's no clause in the deal that gives West Ham an option to buy, and if he does well between now and the end of the season, United will rightfully command quite a, a high price for him as well. They should. He's he's a very very good Premier League player, but um, I think he needs he needs that move to be permanent. I think that would be best for his career. Do you think Ahmad Diallo will start this weekend with the in- injury to Martial? Rashford will be out. Cavani's going to be out as well. You know, do you think you reckon he might get his first start in the Premier League? I mean, looking at it, and you're thinking probably him and Greenwood are going to play, aren't they? Because what else is there? You'd have to play them. Um, and I suspect one of those players you just mentioned is probably going to miraculously be fit for the weekend. I don't know that for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if one of them ends up being fit. But um, we'll see. We'll see, eh? But uh, I, I look at it right now. If you take it on face value, you'll probably you see in a front line of uh, James, Bruno, Greenwood and, um, and Diallo. And James needs to do a lot better with his finishing than he did last night. It's an important game as well, Mike. Can I get a prediction from you? Because Manchester United... Um, you know, they lose to West Ham this weekend and West Ham are right up at tail end. Yeah, I mean, you never would have thought that. And I think they, they actually have to be taken seriously as well because of the amount of games that we've had at this point. I think it'll be a draw. I think it'll be one all. Okay, I'm going to go for a 1-0 win for United. I think Henderson will pull off a clean sheet and give us the response that, that we're all calling for. We actually, you know what? Get- you know, I should change that because whenever I make a prediction about United, it usually goes the other way. Um, so I said United would beat PSG and we got played off the park. So uh, I said to you going into the game last Sunday, that United were going to get absolutely smashed and we won extremely comfortably in the end. So actually, I think West Ham are going to win 5-1. Very good, Mike. You sign off on that note. Um, for everyone that's been listening to, to the Stratocast live, Thank you. Um, it's been live on Periscope, which has been there on Twitter. It's been live on YouTube, and it's going to go up on the podcast as per usual as well. We're just trying this out. This probably become a normal feature. It's a lot of people that kind of watch United content on YouTube, so we're going to reach out to them as well. 
Um, and finally, thanks to everyone for submitting questions and being part of this enjoyable journey. Speak soon. Hopefully, a night with the weekend. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply